0: The Bible reading is Amos 3, it's verses 1 to 15, it's the whole book or the whole chapter. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city and thus the Lord has done it? the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defences from you and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord.
1: Thanks Esther for reading. For those who don't know me, my name is Chris Cullen and it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at Windsor District Baptist Church. We're working our way through a series in the book of Amos which is entitled The Unrelenting Roar and this is the third week of our series. Uh, The first two weeks we had calling for the nations and calling for God's people. And this week, the title of our message is Calling for Witnesses. I'm going to pray and then we'll look at God's word together. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you might give us understanding of your word. Help us, we pray to know what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've entitled the message, Calling for Witnesses, and the question arises, well, what are we called to witness? And this is, if you like, an outline of the the chapter, Amos chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We're called to witness God's covenantal accountability, verses 3 to 6, God's divine calamity, verses 7 and 8, God's word of revelation, verses 9 to 11, God's plundering of strongholds, and verses 12 to 15, God's day of destruction. And the big idea today is that God has spoken and we must prophesy. And if you want to see where that's grounded it's in verse eight which says the lion has roared who will not fear the Lord God has spoken who can but prophesy so as we start to work our way through the text we have at the beginning of the chapter these words hear this word it's a call for us to listen it's a prophetic call it's a Uh, a type of phraseology that is often used when God is giving a prophet a direct word for the people. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken. As we come to God's word, I wonder are you ready to hear from God? We have that opportunity every Sunday, And we have that opportunity every day when we open our Bibles to actually hear God speaking to us. But God speaks here against the people of Israel, against the whole family that he brought up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, You might recall earlier in the book of Amos, we talked about how Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom, how Israel was split into a southern kingdom called Judah and a northern kingdom called Israel. But originally, the Hebrews were rescued up out of the land of Egypt. God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and he established them in the land of Canaan, and they were one One body, one nation, 12 tribes, one nation. And that's who is indicated here. I have a word against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. There's a sense in which Israel, the northern kingdom, has moved on. In there, uh, they're sort of thinking over some time, and they've established themselves separate from the southern kingdom. But here, God is saying, You're part of this body of people that I brought out of Egypt. He's pointing them back to the covenant that He made with them that He would be their God and that they would be His people. And he says in in verse 2, you only have I known of all the families on earth. This is directed at God's people. He says you only, it's a, a very emphatic way of talking to them to say I've got a special relationship with you. My relationship with you is not like the relationship that I have with the other nations. Because I have known you. Now, that's not just God saying, I know who you are. That's a much deeper term in the original language. It's a term which means, I understand you, I'm with you, I walk with you, we are one body. This is an intimate term of covenantal relationship. God had a covenant with the people of Israel. And so when he says, you only have I known, he's got a special word for these people. And and he says, hear this word, because you are my family. Now, uh, I want you to understand that that covenant that God had with them was that he had saved them out of Egypt and called them to be his people but there was an expectation that they would follow his ways, that they would walk in line with his law and there's also an expectation that if they didn't that God would punish them. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Uh, think about, for if you're a parent, whether or not your children are still young and still at home or, or whether they've grown up, if you've been a parent, have you ever been in that situation where someone sees your children and maybe they're doing something wrong and someone who is not you or your spouse disciplines them, and as a parent, you don't like that because it's your job to discipline your children, isn't it? And in fact, if people interfere in disciplining your children, you get quite upset about that. Now, you might not be happy with what your child has done, but you have a special relationship with them, and so it's your role as a parent to provide that discipline to your child, to say what you've done is wrong and to come to them and explain to them their error. It's not someone else's role. So this is the context here. God has a special relationship with his people and it's his role not only to provide them with blessing when they followed him but also to provide them with punishment. When they didn't follow him. So, therefore, says God, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So, that was God's covenantal accountability. God holds himself accountable to provide both the blessing and the punishment for Israel. We read on. And verses 3 to to 8 sort of hang together, but I'm just doing first of all verses 3 to 6. This is God's divine calamity. But this is a really interesting sort of um, way that this is worked. It's like a series of questions, and each question has an, an answer no. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? So if two people are walking alongside, wouldn't they have agreed that they're going to meet first and then they're going to walk together somewhere? That's right. So do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? No, they don't. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. (laughs) So these are illustrations that... um, you know, Amos is is putting together to try and help us. They're rhetorical questions, and the idea is that he's he's asking these, or God is giving these through Amos, so that the people can start thinking about these and answer the rhetorical question in their head. So, as Amos is pronouncing this to the people, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? No. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? No. Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? No. Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? No. You, you get the sense there's, this is a building rhetoric here. And um, I want to try something out here. Um, I've always been fascinated with the fact that in African-American churches particularly, there's this sort of call and response type thing. Um, And so I want us to try this where I'm going to read the question and you've got to answer no, all right? So let's, let's try this. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? That's a good start. Okay. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? No. no. Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? No. Come on, you've got to do a bit better than that. Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? No. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? No. No. You can see how the emphasis on that last phrase is designed. We've been taken through this building rhetoric so that when Amos gets to this last phrase, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? They would automatically go... No, but the people of Israel that Amos is preaching to, they thought they were God's chosen people. God will protect us. He will stop our city from being overtaken by the Assyrians. We're safe. And here, Amos, God, is wanting them to understand that as much as he is their protector, if they have done wrong, he is also the one who allows disaster to come upon them. And so we are witnesses of God's divine calamity. We are also witnesses of God's word of revelation. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. And this is probably Amos saying, I've had God's word revealed to me. He's revealed in advance what is going to happen to the land of Israel, to the northern kingdom, to the city of Samaria, the capital and then he says the lion has roared who will not fear the lion has roared who will not fear you go back a few verses does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey no so if the lion roars what does that mean he's caught a prey yeah that's right he's got an animal in his sights, or he's already caught an animal and he roars in anger, I have you. The lion has roared. God is the lion and he's roared. People of Israel, will you not fear? Will you not fear the Lord of all the earth? the maker of heaven and earth the Lord God has spoken who can but prophesy and so here Amos is saying God said it these are God's words who am I says Amos I'm just a humble shepherd from Tekoa and backwater town south of Jerusalem but if God says it then I have to prophesy it. God is calling for witnesses. Amos witnesses God's word of revelation. What else do we witness? We witness God's plundering of strongholds. Now this word stronghold is used in the next few verses, verses 9 to 11. Proclaim to the strongholds of Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt. Now, this word actually probably means a, a high tower, um, a multi, multi-storied tower, if you like. And um, the word is... It, it's sort of getting at the fact that these were wealthy people. They had built these towers off the back of the oppression of other people. And in Ashdod, which is a a town or a city a bit north of Gaza in the region of the Philistines, enemies of Israel, and in the strongholds in the land of Egypt, there were these towers built. Now, rich people would build a tower to show their prominence, where they would live in luxury, And it was built usually off the oppression of others, off the labors of other people that they took advantage of. And this is a bit funny. Here we are, we're we're talking about a a prophecy to um, the land of Israel. And, And then we say, Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and the strongholds in the land of Egypt. What, what's going on here? Well, they're called to come to Samaria. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. That's the mountains surrounding the city of Samaria. And see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. So in a sense, God is saying, look, these people in, Philist- in the, the region of Philistines, in Philistia and in Egypt... They're pretty corrupt people. They built these strongholds because of their wealth, because of the oppression of others, because of the injustices that they visited on others. So you guys are really good at this bad stuff. So come and have a look at Samaria and look at how bad they are because they are even worse. Come and be witnesses So even the the non-believing people in the nations surrounding Israel are called to come and be witnesses to the degradation that has taken place in Israel herself. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right. Isn't that an indictment upon Israel? They've forgotten what right and wrong is. They don't know how to do right. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. So here in Israel, there are strongholds as well. There are high towers. There are these places where the wealthy are living in ease and luxury, built off the back of... ...of those that they have taken advantage of. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, "...an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defences from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered." God's saying, I'm going to send an army. And that army is going to surround your land. They're going to build a siege around your cities and bring your defences down... And these places of luxury that you live in will be plundered. So, here the witnesses are called to witness God's plundering of strongholds. And finally, God's day of destruction. Thus says the Lord as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Now, that's a pretty graphic image, don't you think? (laughs) Here's the lion again. The lion's caught his prey. And the shepherd rescues two legs or a piece of an ear. This is actually a, a reference back to Exodus chapter 22, I think it is. Um, And in Exodus chapter 22, it talks about what should happen if, if you are caring for someone else's sheep and something goes wrong and say you're not taking very good care and the sheep disappears, then you have to make restitution to the owner of the sheep. But if the sheep is taken by a lion and you can take the carcass back to the owner to show the owner that the sheep was taken by a lion, you were absolved of that debt. You didn't have to make restitution for that sheep because a lion taking your sheep was outside you know, the, the job description of a shepherd. So when it says... So shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. That corner of a couch and part of a bed, that's a reference to these strongholds, to these high towers, to these places where people lived in luxury. But that word rescued there, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued. Do you think the sheep that's been dismembered by the lion... And two legs get taken back to the owner. Is that sheep being rescued? No. That's evidence of the destruction of the sheep. And so here, the people of Israel, they're not going to be rescued, they're going to be destroyed. God's day of destruction, hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house and the houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. The scene here of the witnesses hear and testify against the house of Jacob is like a courtroom scene. Or like in the Old Testament, the elders of the city were to sit at the city gate. And if people had a dispute with one another, they would come to the city gate and present their dispute to the elders of the city who would witness what was being said. And here the witnesses are witnessing the judgment that God is is passing down as the judge. And they're to testify against the house of Jacob. Now, the word Jacob there, the, the person Jacob, that's another reference back to the covenant The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. This is a reference back to the fact that these people, the northern kingdom, they are God's special people along with the southern kingdom, but they are part of that history. And God says, come and witness what I'm going to do, how I'm going to punish the house of Jacob. Jacob was also the person who established the city of Bethel, a city which means the house of God. That word, Bethel, means house of God. But in the house of God, one of the previous kings had set up a golden calf as an idol for the people of Israel to worship. And God says, I'm going to punish Israel, and I'm going to punish the altar in the place that was meant to be the house of God, but has become the house of an idol. And I'm going to cut off the horns of the altar. The idea of cutting off the horns of the altar was that if a person was in trouble, they could come to the altar and hold the horns of the altar To find, um, what's the right word? Uh, So that they wouldn't be held accountable for their sin. To find mercy. But if the horns of the altar are cut off, there's no longer a place to find mercy. And God will strike the winter house along with the summer house and the houses of ivory. This is a, uh, the people of Israel, they were wealthy They had summer houses and winter houses and Ahab had built a house that had all sorts of inlays of ivory everywhere. And God says, I'm going to strike all of those houses down. And the day, on that day, the day of the Lord, he'll punish Israel. Okay, so, what does this all mean for us? Israel is called to witness God's covenantal accountability. Israel was called to witness God's divine calamity, his word of revelation, his plundering of strongholds, and his day of destruction. Now, we live in a very different time now, don't we? We live after the coming of Jesus. But there's much that we can learn from this passage and there are New Testament uh, passages which apply, which can help us to see for each of these different things how these are still uh, elements of God's uh, character and of what he will do that we need to be aware of and think about. So... I'm not gonna read these passages out in full. Um, You can, if you want to take them, you can QR code and see the sermon slides and take a screenshot of that. Um, If you ever wanna see those sermon slides at home during the week, you go to wdbc.org.au forward slash engage, and you can bring them up during the week. They'll be renewed, obviously, on a Sunday before the service. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm just going to highlight verse 7 for us. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Friends, we have the blessing of the grace of God. But God also disciplines us as sons. He has a special relationship with us through Jesus Christ. But if we sin, we should expect that God will discipline us the same way that parents discipline their daughters and sons. We're told that divine calamity will come in Romans chapter 2 verse 5 but because of your hard and impenitent hearts you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed there will be a day of judgment God's disaster God's divine calamity will fall upon people do we really think about that do you think about the people in your family or the people in your workplace or your school that don't know Jesus and consider them to be people who are lost, who will come under the divine judgment of God. When was the last time you wept over the fact that people without Jesus are lost? God's righteous judgment will be revealed one day. We are called to be witnesses of that. When was the last time that you spoke to someone to say there will be a day of reckoning when people will be standing before the judgment seat of God? It's... uh, It's pretty common in the church generally today to want to speak about the love of God in Jesus and that's right and proper and good. The love of God in Jesus is so incredibly good because in Jesus the punishment that we should have received is taken by him on the cross. And we are witnesses of the fact that there will be a day of judgment, a day of divine calamity. We are witnesses of the word of revelation of God. In Second Peter chapter 3, we read... But the day of the Lord, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We've been witnesses of the word of revelation that God has brought, that there will be a day of the Lord, a day when he comes, a day of judgment. And we're called by this passage to consider what sort of people, what sort of lives should we be living? Plundering of strongholds, just in James... chapter 5 unless you think you know well God was concerned about all of this injustice stuff back in the old testament but he's not so concerned about that now in James chapter 5 we read come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. There's a lot more there. God is still concerned about injustice today. And one day, those strongholds, those people who have made themselves rich by exploiting other people, their strongholds will be plundered. And finally, there will be a day of destruction. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read this. The big idea of this message is God has spoken, we must prophesy. Um, the Apostle Paul says, what can I do except to talk of you? That's a poor paraphrase. Um, I actually don't have my notes with me. Uh, somehow in the busyness of the morning, I've, I've lost my notes. So. Um, but God has spoken. It does it well up within you, this message of judgment and your heart of concern for the people that you know and love that do not yet trust in Jesus Christ God has spoken we must prophesy what are we doing to tell people about this impending judgment the lion has roared who will not fear God has spoken who can but prophesy Israel, were called to be witnesses of all of these things. But in the church, we also have salvation and hope. If you go and look at all of those passages in more detail, you'll see coming through them the salvation and hope that we have in Jesus. You know, isn't it great that we can proclaim a message where the calamity that is coming does not need to be your end. Amos was proclaiming a message where God had said Samaria is going to fall. I'm going to bring enemies against it. They're going to siege the the walls. They're going to plunder the strongholds. But our message, yes, there's a day of judgment coming, but there's also a saviour Jesus who's taken in his body the punishment of, that was rightly due for us. And if we will place our trust in him, if we will come to him in repentance and faith, we can escape. Not the sort of escape that the lamb has from the lion, which is really a dead carcass. If we come to Jesus... We can be set free from bondage to sin. We can find in him salvation. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord God, for our saviour Jesus. But we recognise that so frequently we forget To tell people about how great that salvation is. That there will be a day of judgment. That the day of the Lord will come. And that everyone needs to trust Jesus to be rescued from that day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.